From Nashville, Tennessee, it's the weekly Grace Church Nashville podcast. Feel free to follow us on Twitter at Grace Church Nash and use the hashtag located in the podcast description. And now here's Larry Day with this week's message. We're still at the beginning of this year, 2021. Uh, I'm still writing down 2020 accidentally. That's how uh, new it still is. And I, I kind of hate to review just one more time uh, what 2020 was, and I won't probably go all the way there, but I think we know that we have endured a terrible year. Even just this, what, yesterday, we finished up, first time in, in the history of our nation, another impeachment. Um, uh, it's it's just been a an odd year for medical or political things related to COVID or not related to COVID. It's, it ranges from the tragic uh, on one hand to just the plain, you know, irritation on the other hand. This year, of course, we all saw, you know, beautiful cities around the United States on fire with, with government and paralysis to pretty much do anything for weeks on end. We saw suffering as a result of that, which largely affected the very ones that needed help the most. We've seen the tragedies of the real ongoing problems with racial divides and then this kind of pile-on mentality of trying to politicize and to capitalize on these tragedies. Then we've seen businesses uh, that we all rely on being forced to stop doing business or to depend on taking money from a government which itself is broke. You know, that's not going to work long. And then finally, we've seen churches. Churches caught up in all of the above. And churches that are told not to meet or churches that are told not to sing or churches that are told not to lift their voice. And then we've seen division within the church on what's the best way that we should respond to all this conflicting information. It was a year, right? Now, I'm not saying it's the worst year in the history of the world. Uh, I'm certainly not saying that. I'm just kind of pointing out it wasn't normal. It wasn't normal. And permeating all of that weird stuff that I just mentioned is fear. We've talked about this for a year almost. So, you know, fear of sickness, fear of death, fear of financial ruin, fear of the unknown, fear of governments of men, fear of being canceled for speaking of you that's contrary to the accepted norm. Fear. Now, I welcomed the end of last year with a heartfelt, you know, good riddance. But I got to tell you that I'm not sure that 2021 is stacking up to be a banner year uh, so far. And so my question today, with all that in review, and what I'm going to address today is how do we continue to deal with all of this stuff indefinitely? How do we do that? Because I don't think everything's just going to norm. We have a, may have a new normal. There may have been a shift that has occurred. Uh, that's going to be sometime, if it ever levels out. So how do we deal with this indefinitely? People have done it before. Um, so I would just go, how did they do it? And that's what I want to look at this morning. So I'm going to start with a uh, scripture And it's one that's been rolling around in my brain for months now. And I'm going to use it as my launching spot. So this is Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Very familiar portion of scripture, which says this. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds. Let me say that again. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. In the midst of uncertainty, there is a certainty. And in the midst of chaos, there is reason. In the midst of of hatred and violence, you can find love and peace. And in the midst of, of racism and division, there is unity and there is fellowship. 
But it's not here. It's not, it's not going to happen fully in this world. Okay? And I think part of this, this strife that we've been going through may be, in part, God reminding us that we should not set our hopes on this world. Period. Where did we set them? We set them where I just read. We set our minds on things above. That was from Colossians. Paul was telling those people, the the Colossians, that since they're Christians, since they've been raised with Christ, what they need to do is to seek the things that are above with Jesus, where he is. Set your, set your mind on things above, not on things below. Not on the, the things that are here in this earth. And some of you, you're going, well, come on, Larry. You know, you're, you're, you seem to be a practical guy anyways. You know, we can't walk around with our heads up in the clouds all the time. Well, I'm not suggesting that we do that, you know. Uh, I want to look at a man who dealt with this very real uh, stuff, very hard things. And he did it in, in such a way that he became known as a friend of God. Now, I'm hoping a bunch of you know who that somebody is that I'm talking about who's called a friend of God. His name is Abraham, Old Testament. So as I've thought about this question this week, I'm going, what, what was it that kept Abraham going for all those years during his great trials? I mean, you got Abraham, he's 75 years old. I mean, this is an age when most of us are, are kind of hanging it up and, and he's just getting started. And God says to him, Abraham, I'm calling you. And I would say, you know, by the way, this is just a by the way, you know, God is still calling and he's still using uh, older folks, all right? You are not retired uh, and you're not headed for a life of leisure when it comes to the kingdom of God, regardless of your age. You have a purpose, you have a job, you have usefulness to God. Now, Sometimes God calls a young Samuel, or he calls a young David, or he calls a a young disciple John. But my point is, all are needed and all are used. Uh, Regardless, it's kind of like a watch. You know, I'm I'm wearing a digital watch. I'm not talking about digital watches. I'm talking about the old watches with the, uh, you know, the the hands on. You had the, those things, you know, you got the, uh, they were popular, you know, like, when radio was popular, I think. But uh, these old watches, they, they had hour hands. Uh, you know, the older folks are kind of like the hour hands. I'll put myself in that category with you folks. How's that? It doesn't move very fast, at hour hands. But guess what? We can still tell time, right? You know, you got the minute hands that are running circles around the hour hand, but it doesn't make time go any faster. Uh, of course, then you have the second hand, which my metaphor stops there. That's for Pentecostal church use only. <laughs> Running around the church and laps and stuff like that. Uh, all I'm saying, everybody is needed in the kingdom. Young and old, it's a balance. We help each other out. We learn from one another. Everybody's needed. But when I was rereading this, this account of, of uh, Abraham, I, I kept wondering, what was it that just kept him going and doing what he was doing? What kept him moving in faith all those years in such a way that he became known as a friend of God? The answer is is this. He saw the city of God. He, He set his mind on things above. So let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Um, now this is a letter, this letter to, 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 to the Hebrews, it's being written to Christians. And these are Christians who have been living in a continual time of great difficulty. So I think uh, this applies to us. Hebrews 10, 32 says this. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes 
You were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten. And sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. And when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. Now, God was shaking things up then, and I believe that he's shaking them up now in our times as well. And guess what? They didn't like it then, and we don't necessarily like it now either, but God is going to shake his church anyways. And, and the reason that he shakes us is so that the things that are unshakable won't be, or let me say it this way, the things that are shakable will be removed. You shake, shake the tree, the stuff that's not supposed to be there is going to fall off. And what it leaves is only things that are unshakable. It's a sifting. And you're going, well, Larry, God, God wouldn't do that. That's not, that's not God. Well, let's read some more in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, 26 says this. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. You're going, Larry, what's that supposed to mean? Well, keep reading because he says, this means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. Yeah, we get shaken. And our culture may try to mess around and shake down the church, or they'll try to shake down the church. They're going to try to tell you that there is no truth. They'll try to tell you that, that Jesus is just another guide, that your, that your faith or your belief is just some kind of uh, misguided superstition. Uh, or, hey, the worst of all insults, you're a science denier. Wow. Whew. They're going to shake it, and they're going to shake at it, but they're going to come to realize sooner or later that they're basically only messing around with the scaffolding here. Because the real church of Jesus Christ has gone nowhere. It's not going anywhere because it is immovable. It cannot be shaken. Amen. Thank you. Um, let's look at uh, Hebrews eleven thirteen. This This is basically the, the writer of Hebrews is talking about the patriarchs of the faith. That's Abel, Enoch, Noah, several others. But he mentions Abraham. And here's what he says. He says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises. But that, mean, just, that just means the, the, the things that had been promised, they had not yet received, right? But having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. I think that's one of our problems right here. Which is, you know, too often the people of God live like this is home. Um, This is not home. We're told to set your minds on things above, not on things that are on the earth. We are pilgrims, the Bible says. We are sojourners. We are travelers. We are just Passing through. Uh, A fugitive is somebody who's running from home. Uh, A nomad has no home. A stranger is away from home. But a pilgrim is headed home. That's us. We are pilgrims and we set our minds on things above and we keep moving on. Now back to Abraham. Abraham's a wealthy man. He is a very wealthy man. He could have built himself a palace there where he lived, but he didn't. He lived in a tent. Uh, I think that's where his nephew Lot got in a a bit of trouble because, you know, Lot gave up his tent. Lot settled down. I'm going to 
read some more from Hebrews. This is uh, Hebrews eleven fourteen. Eleven fourteen, excuse me. It says, for those who say such things declare pl- plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better place, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. That's what I meant just a a couple of minutes ago when I was asking, you know, what was it that kept Abraham moving in faith all those years? It's right right there. He saw a better place. He saw a, a heavenly country. He saw the city of God. And he did that by he kept his mind set on things above. You go, oh, Larry, that's a, that's a nice metaphor. Thank you very much. It's beautiful. But, but, you know, I don't really relate, really, because, you know, Abraham was literally a nomad, right? And, you know, I don't live in a tent, you know. I'd say, well, wait a second. Yes, you do. Well, let's go back to the scripture here. This is 2 Corinthians 5.1, and it says this. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So I got news for you. You don't live in a house. You live in a tent. And what that means is you're temporary. You're temporary. Abraham, like I said, he was a wealthy man. So why did he live in a tent? Well, it's because he knew this world isn't my home. He saw a city. He set his minds on things above, right? Um, that, that was his mindset. That was uh, this vision. That's what kept his faith going all those years. He saw a city. And actually, it's more than that. Actually, there were three other cities involved in his life. And they link with three cities in our lives, metaphorically speaking. First of all, Abraham had a city behind him. It was called Ur. Ur the Chaldees. Uh, And Abraham had a city beside him. That city was called Sodom. right? And the thing that Cape that kept Abraham from going back to the city from whence he came was the city that he had before him. He had a city before him, and he had a city beyond him. And guess what? We have have similar cities, if you will, in in our lives. We, We all have, like Abraham, we all have a city behind us. And you go, what do you mean by that, Larry? Well, I mean that everybody who's who's truly been been saved, has turned their back on their past. And, and that's important. You know, if, if our hearts, if our minds are attracted to the past, then the pull of that past can be dangerous. Um, I just read it here from the scripture. It said, if Abraham had dwelled on the past, this was Hebrews eleven fifteen. it said, if they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back. So the, he could have gone back to his past. You know, if he had dwelled on that, if he had set his mind on that, if he had longed for that, he could have gone back and he had the opportunity to return. Well, Larry, I don't know. You know, where's the temptation for Abraham to do that? I mean, come on, we're talking about Ur. I mean, with a name like that even. Let's start with the name, Ur. You know, uh, it's a squalid, middle-of-the-desert, desolate, a horrible place. You know, probably filled with, you know, knuckle-dragging, Cro-Magnum-type men. You know, who would be tempted to go back to Ur? Well, I actually looked up Ur because that's the kind of guy I am. And uh, there was, in 1922, there was a British archaeologist by the name of Leonard Woolley who found Ur and they excavated it. And uh, what he said about Ur is not at all what I just described. 
They said it had a population of over 300,000 people. Um, they had water conduits. They understood higher mathematics. So we're talking square, square roots and cube roots and stuff that I have no clue of. It was not a barren wasteland. It, it was actually a lush country. It had enormous buildings. Some of the wealthy people had 14, 15 rooms in their home with running water even. Abraham was a citizen of that phenomenal city and he had inherited the, the, the traditions from a very organized uh, uh, civilization. And as he's living there, he's living there among the wealthy. So this is a guy who has money. He's living in this powerful, beautiful city with indoor water. He had himself status in this amazing city. Um, and uh, lest you, you don't believe me, I'm, I'm going to show you three images that, that I found when looking at Leonard Woolley that, that were, I just thought, beautiful. Three quick pictures that, that, date, that date from uh, ancient Ur, which is 2,000 years B.C. Take a look at this first one. I'm sure this had religious significance, but my gosh, that's beautiful. Let's look at the next one. Some type of headdress with gold-plated, very, very thin metalwork. It's just, again, this is not Cro-Magnum knuckle-dragging folk who did this. The last one, I don't know, I guess this is clay or something, but my gosh, again... This, this stuff is, my point is, it isn't products of a, uh, you know, low-grade kind of system that would have no uh, attachment to him. Abraham's past really was absolutely a potential pull on him. So what happened? Well, he had a life-changing experience with God, just like you or me or anybody who's come to know Jesus had. That's what Stephen said about Abraham. It's in Acts 7. You can read it later if you like. Uh, but he basically said, the glory of God appeared to Abraham and, and God said, get out. Get out of Ur. Um, that's probably happened to you too if you actually know Jesus, I'm thinking. right? What God actually told Abraham was, you know, leave your kindred and your father's house and go. What's a kindred? It's a relative. Uh, I don't think God was telling Abraham to abandon his wife. It's more like, Abraham, take your wife Sarai and get out of town. And Abraham disobeys. Here's what Genesis 12, 5 says. And Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. So Genesis 11 talks about the whole clan is moving. It's his dad, his wife, his nephew, all their people, their stuff. They head towards Canaan, but they got to Haran and they just stopped. They stopped. Which, again, I'm thinking that's kind of like some of us, uh, probably most of us at one time or another. We, we start out sort of, sort of doing what, what God tells us to do, but then we allow ourselves to get detoured by the things of this world. Well, while they're in Haran, Abram's dad dies, and God again says, go to a land I'm going to show you. So he starts off again. He doesn't have a map of where he's going. He has marched off of the map, okay? He'll know he's there when God says he's there. And again, God does that to us sometimes as well. He gives you a direction. He says, you know, go that way. But it's probably irritatingly lacking in details. Just go. Set your mind on things above and go which is hard, especially for people like me, because, you know, I want to know where I'm going, you know, and I want to know how I'm getting there, and I want to know when the plane is leaving, and I'm going to be two hours early, and I'm going to have a contingency plan just in case. Not so with Abraham. Abraham, we're told, moved by faith. 
And God's telling him, goes, Abraham, where you're headed isn't your final destination. Lift your eyes up and I'm going to show you a city. I'm going to show you a country. I'm going to show you a homeland. And Abraham, I've written your name down in heaven. I think that's a great thing to know as well, that that your name is written down in heaven. You remember when when Jesus was, was working with his disciples and he told them, don't rejoice that demons obey you. Rejoice that your names are written down in heaven. And by the way, it's written down in heaven by God alone. And as you've heard Lendl speak here and teach here the last couple of weeks and myself, you know, you have to run the race. Your name is written down by God, but you have to run the race. You have to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So it's all God and it's all you. And, and uh, by the way, the, the word written there is interesting. It's uh, in Greek, it's engrapho. And it means this, your name has been written down. Your name is still written down. It stands written down and it always will be written down. I love that. Now, that theology bothers some folks, I know, but it's all right. My name is written down in heaven by the blood of Jesus and you can have your name written down in pencil if you want. But I'm just saying... Uh, Your name is written down by the blood of Jesus, and it stands written down, so long as you're still running the race. But God tells Abraham, anyways, uh, he tells him to not look back to Ur, right? He says, don't look back to all that wealth, don't look back to all that comfort, don't look to that sense of of, uh, being safe. He said, look up, set your mind on things above. Now, Everything that Abraham dragged along with him got him into trouble. Uh, Let's start by looking at Lot, right? He brings his nephew with him. Lot got him into trouble. Then Abraham goes down to Egypt, and he gets Hagar there. Hagar got him into trouble. And the, the Bible's warning us. Over and over again to not look back. Jesus taught it in the New Testament, right? He said, anybody who puts his hand to the plow but look back isn't fit for the kingdom of God. He also said, remember Lot's wife, right? We all know what happened to her. She looked back. What happened? She turns into a pillar of salt. Philippians 3.13 says this, but one thing I do. One thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Set your minds on things above, not on things of earth. That that was really probably the ongoing problem with the entire Jewish nation right? They get delivered from Egypt. We all know their story before they even get back or get going, really. They, they want to go back. You know, they're, they're traveling across the Red Sea. The, the army of Egypt is destroyed, but they start wondering, oh gosh, what are we going to eat? You know, I'm sick of this manna, you know, and uh, there's no water out here in the desert and, you know, whatever. Every time they would go there, the response from them was, let's go back to Egypt, Right? There was a pull, and the philosophy seemed to be, you know, whenever you're in trouble, just go back. I say the answer for Christians is the opposite. You know, whenever we're in trouble, we need to go forward. Set your mind on things above. We all have a, a city, if you will, uh, behind us. And all of us have probably experienced times when the enemy's telling you and lying to you, you know, you know what, you know. You probably have it a lot easier if you were just back to where you where you used to be. You know, your your finances those would be a lot easier if you just quit tithing. You know, say you know, you wouldn't be alone here on this on this Valentine's Day if you just kept living with your boyfriend. 
you know. You'd fit in better with your, with your friends and your coworkers if you just stopped talking about Jesus, maybe. How about that, you know. And the enemy's telling us, you know, that things would be easier if, if, if you would just stop doing what you're doing, you know. That, that if only you had stayed in Ur, things would be better. Why don't you just go back right now? That's the enemy. And Abraham would say, no way. No way. I've got my eyes on a city out there. And he's going, folks, forget Ur. Okay, forget the past and move on ahead and set your minds on things above. That was the city of the past. The the city that was beside him. Abraham had a city beside him. We all know it. It's a city with a famous name called Sodom. Um, Now, I think that you and me are living in a time where most of our society is metaphorically Sodom, if you will. Sodom's our next-door neighbor, right? So you go, well, how did Abraham uh, relate to living beside this wicked, godless Sodom? How do you do it? Well, first, he was separate from it, okay? He lived in a tent over there, and Sodom was a city over there, all right? So he was separated from it. It is absolutely possible, folks, hear me, you know, it is possible to live in the middle of an evil society and not be tainted by it. That's what Abram did. John, uh, the disciple, told us that we're, not, that we're not supposed to love this world. He said, don't love it. Now, he didn't say don't live in it. You know, we live here. We have been called out of darkness into God's light. We've been called out of the world to be sent back into the world. And, and, and when this happens, uh, uh, or when this happens, it's happening even though we don't belong to the world. We've been called out. Been called out of this world. Someday we're going to be called up to the heavenly country. And in the meantime, we're called to live in a wicked world. We're light. We're light in the world. We're salt of the earth. We're not a, we're not a club. All right? We're not supposed to disappear in bad times and cower in the corner amongst ourselves. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to be light. We're called to shine in dark times. We're called to shine in dark places. We're to be salt that's applied to problems, to a, to a world that's around us that needs preservation. It needs to be saved, right? We're not friends with this world. Because James says that friendship with this world is enmity with God himself. We're in the world. We're not of the world. We are not conformed to this world. We are transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Set your mind on things above. That's exactly what Lot did. Actually, that's exactly what Abraham did. It's exactly what Lot didn't do, right? What did Lot do? Well, think about him. And what a privilege Lot had. And he blew it. I mean, he missed this big time. I mean, what a privilege to walk the earth with somebody who's called a friend of God. I mean, I think I'd be going... Hey, do you know who my uncle is? You know, Abraham's my he's, he's God's homeboy. You know, and uh, you know, I'm the nephew of God's homeboy. It's, I sell T-shirts. You know, but we find Lot uh, in the Bible. We find a Lot has become. He gets rid of his tent. He's living in, in Sodom, and he's actually one of the aldermen of the city. He sits at the gate. We're told, meaning he's a leader there. He lost everything. All right. He lost his tent, he lost his uncle, he lost his wife, he lost his testimony. And when the angels told him, get out, 
we're going to blow the place up. Lot goes to his family and tells them that. They just laugh at him. He lost everything. He lost his family. He lost his purity. He ends up committing you know, drunken incest in a cave. Going, come on, this is Lot. I mean, the guy used to go to church with Abraham. Larry, that would never happen to me. Please. <laughs> That's almost laughable. You know, don't kid yourself. The Bible says that let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Don't kid yourself. This applies to me. It applies to you. It applies to all of us. Okay, so, so Abram was separated from Sodom, but separation, like I'm saying, isn't isolation. And, and you remember, remember as you're reading the story of Abraham how, how uh, a group of four kings kind of swooped down on Sodom. They plundered the city. They took captives. And amongst those was Lot and his, and his family. And Abraham gets word of this, so he takes 318 men, and he goes after all four of those kings. And he conquers all of them. And he gets Lot back, he gets all the plunder back, and he gets all the other people back, and he, he meets Melchizedek on the way home, and he ties to Melchizedek. And then the king of Sodom meets Abraham and basically says, you know, give me the people, Abraham, but you can keep all the plunder. And Abraham goes, uh, I don't want a penny. I made an oath to God that I won't take a thread from you because if I do, you're going to tell everybody that you made me rich. So Abraham with 318 soldiers, I love the precision there in the Bible there, 318 soldiers puts everything on the line. He whips these uh, four kings. He brings everybody back and he won't take a penny for doing it. Would you do that for your Sodom? I think not. You know, I think most of us would want to burn the place to the ground. That's how we'd react. But that wasn't what Abram did. That's not what uh, Jeremiah told uh, the Israelites in captivity in Babylon to do. Uh, Jeremiah's going, you know, how should God's chosen people exist in this godless, wicked Babylon when they're in captivity. He said, get married, have children, plant gardens, have farms. Jeremiah 29.7 says, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Peter instructed Christians how to get along with a government and a world that was, was wicked and thought that all the Christians were nuts. And he basically said similar stuff. He said, honor the king. He said, pay your taxes, respect authority, and do good. That's how we deal with Sodom. That's what we do. We behave as Abraham did to Sodom. We do the same. And he was separated from them but he ministered to them and he didn't do it for gain, right? He wouldn't even take a shoelace, the Bible says, for what he did for them. You know, we don't minister to our neighbors and our friends for what we get out of it. You can acknowledge Jesus before uh, your unsaved neighbors and friends when you've done good and required nothing, right? So we see how Abraham uh, was separated from Sodom, uh, how he served Sodom, how he prayed for Sodom. And you'll all remember the exceedingly famous incident where he intercedes on Sodom's behalf that, that God's not going to destroy this city for the, for the sake of 50, right? And he negotiates it down to God won't destroy this city for the sake of 10 righteous. And God agrees to that. You know, he won't destroy the city for the sake of 10 righteous people. So if you do the math, you got Lot and you got Mrs. Lot. And you got four daughters, I'm out of fingers. 
Uh, two of those daughters were married, so you've got husbands. That's eight people. Listen to me. If Lot had just gotten two people saved, he could have spared the entire city. You, you get that? Uh, two people saved. If he had just gotten two people to trust God, he could have spared the entire city. But Lot wasn't a witness. Do we want this world to change? Do we want righteous government? Do we want an end to racism? Get people saved, right? And I'm talking really saved, not the religious thing. I'm talking people really saved. Okay, so Abraham is uh, separated from Sodom. He serves Sodom. He interceded for Sodom. Folks, if we're going to change this world, we have to change people in this world. We have to be used by God to change the people in this world. And like I said earlier, it'd be good riddance 2020, but I'm not sure 2021 is any better. I mean, the, 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 the sewage gets deeper, the smell gets worse. And I'm not sure that that not very nice description is uh, restricted to just outside the church. All right. Augustine said this. This is is an interesting quote. Augustine said, the church is something like Noah's Ark. If it wasn't for the judgment on the outside, you couldn't stand the smell on the inside. (laughs) Okay. Abraham uh, also had a final city, the third city, a city beyond him, a city that was before him. Uh, this is the, the city of God. This is, this is heaven. And I think it's unfortunate that the church as a, as a whole, the capital C church, doesn't really talk that much about heaven, you know, unless somebody is seriously ill or maybe he's going to die or something like that. Uh, quoting another person, this is C.S. Lewis. He wrote uh, a great book called Mere Christianity. And he says this. He said, if you read history, you'll find that Christians who did the most for the present world are the ones that thought the most of the next world. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. Aim at heaven, and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you'll get neither. So how do we live in a world that is so broken? We need perspective. And the only way to get perspective is to look beyond Those in the Bible, those throughout church history who, who had their eyes on, on the city, those who kept their mind on things above, they're the ones who said, we've got to do something about the situation here, right? And why do you think that is? Well, I wonder, you know, if maybe it's because heaven is more than just a destination. It's, it's also a motivation, Jesus said to the uh, temple officers who came to arrest him in John seven thirty three. Jesus said this. He said, I'll be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me, because where I am, you cannot come. Only those who know Jesus are motivated by this reward. But the reward isn't some kind of, you know, just get me the heck out of here mindset. Jesus never said that. In fact, when Jesus is praying to the Father at Gethsemane, and by the way, he's praying for you when he's there. You know, you all know that, right? Jesus is praying for you at the Garden of Gethsemane. Because that night in Gethsemane, he's lifting up the disciples before the Father. And he says in John seventeen nine, he says, I'm praying for them. I am not praying for the world. 
but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. John 17, 20 says, I do not ask for these only, meaning the disciples that were physically with him at the moment. I do not ask for these only, but I also ask, but, but also for these who will believe in me through their, meaning the disciples who were with him, through their word. That's me. That's you. We're believers because they went out and spread the gospel of, of Jesus. And Jesus included in this prayer uh, a prayer that is not get them out of here. He said the opposite. He said, Father, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Heaven is a motivation, but it's not, Father, get me out of here mindset. That is not the mindset we need. We, we acknowledge it in our journey here that we're pilgrims. We set our, our minds on things above. And when we do that, we have a protection from the enemy. And Jesus then continues in his prayer in verse 16. He says, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Guys, if, if in these days of confused situations, if we're going to run this race to, to win and we run this with a spring in our step because we know where we're going. And because we know where we're going, we can deal with whatever may come our way because we know the time is getting short to bring in the harvest. The Holy Spirit empowers us. The Holy Spirit guides us. The Holy Spirit gifts us to continue the ministry of Jesus in our times to the exact same sinful, broken world that Abraham lived in and that Jesus lived in. Thank you very much. So forget the news. Forget all this election drama. Forget COVID. Ignore the fear. Trust God and be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Be wise as a serpent, be harmless as a dove, and set your minds on things above, not at things below, not of this earth. Don't look to the city of Ur. Don't look to your past. Don't look to the city of Sodom. Don't look to your broken culture. Look to the city above, the city that's beyond, and look to it now. Jesus said this, again, this is the night that... Prior to his execution, he's going, in me you have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Take heart. I have overcome the world. So set your mind on that. And there's no time like now to begin doing that. There is a shaking going on. And you need to hang on. You need to make sure that you're not sifted out as that shaking continues. You need to draw near to God. And as you do that, we're told that he draws near to us. Jesus said another thing to his disciples that very same night uh, prior to their world, the disciples' world, being shaken to its core. He tells them this. He says, I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world can't give. So don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. Remember what I told you. I'm going away, but I will come back to you again. I think during this time, how do we stand firm? How do we stand strong? It's time to get back to basic truths of the gospel. Now, I think if you're a, a person who's, who has great trust in signs, miracles, and wonders, those are all good things. They're wonderful. God gives them. They can also be used. They have been used. They will be used in the future, we know, for a great deception. Test all that stuff during these times. And understand, you know, there's icing and then there's cake. And don't confuse the two, Right? We need the word of God. There's some cake. We need the gospel of Jesus. We need to build our lives on a solid foundation. We need prayer in our lives. And we need to look forward to the return of Jesus. Paul, Paul tells us that the, the weapons of our warfare, he tells us about them. He says one of them you know, is, is faith. This is the great one that we learn as we look at Abraham. 
we're told that we have a, a shield of faith to quench the fiery darts of the enemy. The time to make sure that your shield is functioning is before the battle, okay? Not in the middle of it. Get your spiritual weapons working, all right? Now, shields, specifically in the Bible time, and I'm I'm closing here, but shields in the time of the Bible, when Paul wrote those words, were were often made of leather. Um, And they had a problem. You might have experienced this as a kid with your baseball mitt. Uh, Dry leather cracks, and it becomes brittle. So what they would do is they would take their shields um, and they rubbed oil into them. And the oil was applied to keep them in, in top condition. And all I'm saying here this morning, to sum this up, um, how do we live in this world for the long term? If, if, if this is our long term, and folks, I really kind of think it is. Get your shield oiled up. Get it anointed. The oil of the Holy Spirit all over your shield of faith. Get the sword of the Spirit out, that word of God. Get it into your spirit. Get it into your mind. Stop doing things that you know aren't pleasing to God. You've known it for decades maybe. And it's, it's not a, a tendency. It's a, it's a stronghold. Get rid of it. Stop doing things that you know aren't pleasing to God because it's called sin. Repent of all that stuff and listen to the convicting voice of the Holy Spirit. And he's going to tell you what I've just told you this morning. Set your minds on things above. Think about Jesus. Think about heaven. Take your minds off the allure and the attraction of this world. It's going to burn up. Hay and stubble. Don't become so engrossed in the politics of the day that you can't see the forest for the trees. Don't let the fear that's in the, in the atmosphere control you and get all over you. Don't let COVID control your life. Be wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. And the Holy Spirit will direct you in that matter to what you need to do for your life. Listen to him. Um, Because that's where we're at. So, again, how do we do this? How do we live in this world long term and live it by faith the way Abraham did? Remember those cities and remember where to set your mind. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Grace Church, you can visit us online at gracechurchnashville.com and find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash gracechurchnash. Hope you have a great week, and we'll see you next time.